You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wise, Sherry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, JT Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Sanderson, Robin Mom, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit hankgarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm super excited to have one of my all-time favorite authors back on the show with me. Faye Kellerman has a brand new book. It's called The Hunt. And this is... Is this book 27 for for Decker and Lazarus? I'm not quite sure. It's either 26 or 27. It's, It's right around there. Wow. Well, well, Amazon says it's 27, so um, we'll we'll go with their counting and and sort out the details later. That sounds great. <laughs> oh man, um, Faye, since we since we chatted last time, um, you know the uh, the world has gone through a pandemic and uh, it's been kind of crazy. H- how have things been on your end? A uh, very good question. This book was a pandemically written book. Um, so it gave me something to do. Um, we're doing okay, but I'm glad the world is opening up. Uh, that is the main thing. Uh, we are social animals. We are social beings. We're not meant to be in isolations just with um, our, our dog and our cat and uh, our family members. We're meant to um, venture out and explore new territory and um for a writer, that's especially important because you get so many ideas just by wandering around. Now, you and your husband both are writers, so uh, I would imagine that you know the majority of your work life is is spent at home. Um, and but there, there's a, a weird thing that happens when the rest of the world is at home working as well. That did did that have any effect? On, on your creativity and your process, uh, and you know, uh, other than we're social creatures and we want to go out and, and mix and mingle with other folks or or have people over and 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 fellowship. But you know, is there a a strange mental thing that happens when you know the rest of the world is is kind of doing business the way you do? Um, not for us in specific. It's good to mention that because writing is kind of a solitary activity. It is yeah. a, not kind of. It is a solitary activity <laughs> unless you do script writing, of course, which is like uh, in groups. Novel writing, uh, you have responsibility for it. It's your baby, good or bad. Um, you take you take all of the credit. You take all of the blame. So for me specifically, it wasn't that big of a deal. We spend a lot of time, Jonathan and I spend a lot of time in our house. Um, We have a pretty big backyard and I I garden and I do my little things uh, anyway. So when the pandemic uh, started, it was easier, I think, for John and I to isolate than it was for maybe somebody else who's used to commuting and um, having that office uh, group support. So for us, it was okay. I miss my kids, I miss my grandchildren. No matter who you are or what you do, it affected you in some way, shape or form. You're not meant to just be in prison, even if it's a beautiful prison, 
um, for all that time. So I, I was really glad when I'm really glad now that things are opening up. It just makes you so psychologically healthy. Yeah. Um, Faye, a, a question that I've been asking uh, people lately, and we've had a lot of fun with it, is, is there a piece of writing advice that you received from someone and either it was so brilliant that it has just stuck with you all these years, or is there a piece of writing advice that was so horrible that it sticks out in your mind? Uh, not advice specifically. My uh, my credo when I write is, um, you know, write what you love, write when you know, write what you know, and just do it because it's the writing process that. Um, spurs ideas it's a very weird feedback you you start typing and then your brain reads back what you typed and it that stimulates you writing stimulates writing that's a b my one uh writing advice that uh, might go against other people is don't show your writing to anybody unless it's a, another writer or an editor or your spouse one person because um, other than that you're going to get once you throw your manuscript out there and go what do you think you throw it out there for four people you're going to get four different advices and it's going to confuse you you have to have confidence in your work so keep your writing private and just do it Faye, you um you wrote your first book well published your first book in 1986 and that's when we first uh, met Decker and Lazarus. Uh, you received a doctorate in dentistry. Were were you a practicing dentist when you started writing? Uh, no, I had just graduated dental school, and then I started having my kids. After dental school, I wanted to take some time out. And then once the writing bug kind of hit me, it's not that I never wrote before. I just never thought it as a possibility to uh of of a career i thought it was more of a hobby than a career but then i saw my husband write and he was using it as a hobby too kind of until he got published he was my greatest inspiration he was tenacious he was creative he had plans so i had a lot of false starts in between that six years of graduating dental school and being published I guess it was um, it was seven years or eight years. Um, I started writing this and I wrote that, and it took me a while before I found my vehicle and my voice, and I found them in Peter and Rena. Of course, when you're writing a first book, which was the Ritual Bath, you don't know it's a first book. You have no idea if it's going to get published or not. So you write from the heart, but you're trying to write uh, so that you may. Um, appeal to other people, especially an editor. So that's how the ritual bath got, uh, was born. It was something that um, I knew a lot about, um, you know, being a traditional Jew myself. I had to learn the ins and outs of police uh, procedural. Uh, so I visited a lot of police stations, but that was part of the research and part of the fun. Did I'm I'm always fascinated by the moment of inspiration and the birth of an idea, uh, because at one point these characters didn't exist. 
the ritual bath didn't exist. There, there was nothing about it. And then something triggered the what if game in your mind or these characters walked onto the stage or, or whatever it was. Um, and then all of a sudden these characters exist and, and they're going to carry you 27 books into the future or whatever that number is, 26, 27. Um, what, what, do you remember? Can you, can you reach back to that wh- where the idea for this world began? Um, very good question. As I said, I had a lot of false starts, but I started writing from a point of view, you know, the basic writing credo, you write kind of what you knew, you know. So Rena was actually born before Decker was. And I like the mystery genre crime fiction because um, I am mathematical and it had a beginning, a middle and an end. And that appealed to me. Uh, but I wanted it people with uh, uh, fluid characters, not kind of an Agatha Christie who runs the whole book. Um, I wanted more uh, characters that people could relate to. I mean, I'm, I have a lot of kids. I've been married a long time. So I kind of transferred that to Rena. So when she got involved in this crime in the ritual bath, I didn't want her solving it. I, I thought that that would not be realistic. So uh, Peter came in there and then I had Peter and Rena in my head and I figured, okay, she was a widow. Um, he was gonna be a divorcee because uh, it just worked out that way. Their interaction was sexier that way. So you throw in a romance because who, who doesn't love a good romance, a, a good hidden romance. And that's how the ritual bath was born. Uh, She was the first one who came into my mind and the first developed character. Decker actually came a little later. Looking back over the the catalog of these books that you've written, uh, is is there an overarching theme? Uh, Are there topics that you revisit? And if so, uh, is that intentional? Or have you looked back and 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 are, are able to see a theme developing? Um, I try to deal in human themes rather than um, uh, corporate schemes or scandals or um, um, uh, a lot of um, TV programs. You see, there's always a corrupt cop or a, a corrupt person at the top. Um, who they're trying to bring down a corporation or bring down an activity or bring down the police department with something. That's not my my interest. My interest is human behavior. How does a uh, crime happen and how does it affect the people around them? Uh, obviously, a murder, you have a lot, a lot of uh, victims that are still alive, even though the main victim is dead. How did this happen? What uh, perpetrated? It's the everyday person who gets into a situation that allows them to do something very, very um, heinous. Um, I don't usually do serial killer books. That's not my thing. It's human beings that through situations have caused them to do something uh, that they wouldn't ordinarily do. And I like to onion peel it. You know, you peel back the layers and discover what was the, uh, the 
reason for this crime and what was the reason for this behavior. That's my thing. That's my thing. It's much more on a human level than on a big uh, scandal level. Looking back over these characters, what has surprised you the most about uh, the character growth and and where they are now for, uh, compared to where you first met them? They have, I mean, they've gone from like 40 to 70. So obviously there's life experience growth and they've also been married. Um, and so there's obviously went from two eyes to a we. Uh, so that has happened. Um, what has surprised me is Peter's intensity in solving a crime is just as uh, obsessive compulsive at 40 as he was at 70. He <laughs> just has to go out there. He has to find what happened. He, he, it bothers him when he doesn't. He um, relentlessly pursues justice. And Rena has been a little bit less involved um, but she is always there, not only as a sounding board, she often has conversations with him that make him think in a whole different direction because she's so uh, sharp. She's, she's pursued her own life. Uh, she's pursued her own interests. And I think because they're both come from previous marriages and they're both very understanding of one another and they don't... Uh, they're not too demanding of each other's attention. They're both people who are content within themselves, and that has formed the basis of a very strong relationship. Have there have there been seasons of writing these books where um, one character comes to the fore and the other um, takes sort of a back seat? And, and I guess what I'm asking is. Um, these characters for you have to have become just as real as, as any real people. I mean, they, they inhabit so much of your, your, your brain space. Um, do they go through the cycles, uh, that, that people normally go through where, you know, there's ups and downs, there's ebbs and flows and, and, you know, some days we're better than, than other days. Do, do those types of things affect your characters? Oh, absolutely. And we've had um, situations where they've had um, uh, down periods as well as up periods. As far as who's taking center stage, sometimes Reen is very, very involved in the crime. We've had two books where uh, Decker's daughter, uh, Cindy Decker, or Cindy Coutiel, she's now married, has taken center stage. We've had other books where I bring back, for instance, The Hunt, the current one, where I bring back other characters. In this case, it was just Donati and Terry McLaughlin. They take center stage in, in the book, The Hunt. So it's always, um, I, they have kids, they have um, grandchildren, they have foster kids. So there's always a wonderful play of who, which characters I decide to bring back which characters speak to me and say, hey, I have a story, listen to me. And I can bring them back, I can bring them forward. Um, it, it just depends on how they talk to me. And as a married couple, they've had up periods, they've had down periods, and that's what people like about them. They've followed them for 30 some odd years through their life cycles, and it's very relatable because 
it's relatable to me, so I'm assuming it's relatable to a lot of my fans. And my fans are the greatest, by the way. I love them. They're just so supportive and so wonderful. And uh, I couldn't have done as much as I did without the support and the feedback of them. So that's thank you. I, <laughs> thank I, you I all the guys out there. Absolutely. Um, I don't remember exactly where along the journey I joined uh, in in the fake Hellerman fan club. <laughs> um, it's been it's been a number of years. Um, but uh, it yeah, are you surprised that people you know hang around for as long as as you're churning out books? You know, not only have these people become real characters to you. Um, but they have to us as well. And, you know, I look forward every year when when a new uh, book is coming out and, and I get to go on the next adventure. Um, you know, not only have you created these characters for yourself, but you've created them for all of us as well. Oh, thank you so much. That's really uh, fun. I, I hope so. I mean, they're, they're, it does surprise me that I've lasted as long as I've done, and it, it's it's great. It's it's just absolutely wonderful that um, people are still interested in these two marvelous people. Um, I do really try to make each book as individual as possible. Um, you can't change your, rat, your characters radically because it, it just doesn't work that way. They have a kind of a certain personality. They do develop... But you, you can't suddenly uh, have a whole different uh, epiphany where they're going to go in a different direction. But what you can do is put them in novel situations and see how they react. And that's how I try to keep the, um, the series as fresh as possible. So speaking of that, you know, when it comes that time of year where it's, it's time to start working on a new novel, um, you know, you have a very well-established world, uh, if we can use that term, and, you know, that's inhabited by a, a cast of characters. You know, of course, we've got Decker and Lazarus, but we've got this this uh, this cast of characters that surround them. And, and like you said, sometimes you bring this one in, sometimes you bring that one. Um, but when you start thinking of, like, plot for what the new book is, what, do you start thinking in the beginning – Okay, what what sort of trouble am I going to get them into? What sort of crime is there going to be, or is there a a particular character journey that I want to go on uh, with this book? And what sort of plot devices can I use to move these characters along? How, how do you start thinking about a new book? Um, good question. I always start start with kind of what do I want to say in this book. Um, before I even start with characters and think, because well, if you don't have anything to say, it, why bother? Right. It's, it's not just uh, how do I um, get them into a plot. It's what do I want to say in the book? In this particular book, The Hunt, that's coming out, I, I wanted to contrast functional relationships versus dysfunctional relationships. That's how I started. How do I get there? Well, then I start thinking of the characters. Okay, Peter and Rena have a really functional marriage. 
I brought back Chris and Terry because their relationship what is and always was dysfunctional. Let me explore that a little bit. How can I integrate the two things? Well, you know, uh, Decker and Rena's foster son, Gabe uh, Whitman, it's his biological parent. So, okay, we have an in there. How do I, and then the hunt is um, obviously the title. It's the hunt for Terry's kidnapped son, as well as the hunt for this body that Decker and McAdams found in the in the uh, woods. Who is this person and how did he get there uh, or she get there? How did this this body get there? And um, you take it from there. OK, so you start with your theme. You have kind of the idea of who the characters are. And then you, you start kind of the chapter by chapter plot what's going to happen here, what's going to happen there, or kind of a scene-by-scene scene thing. Sometimes it's in my head. I don't even have to write it down. I had the first, like, 15 um, scenes in my head. Sometimes I, the plot is so complicated, um, I have to write a chapter-by-chapter chapter outline. That being said, your outline always changes. You, you, it never matches uh, how the actual book is. And there's a lot of reconciliation that's done in the way by the middle of the book. And you start with a, an, an, uh, um, a thread of an idea and it doesn't go anywhere. So you have to excise that idea. It, it, <laughs> it's, it's a lot of uh, surgery work. It's a lot of cutting and pasting and, and doing that kind of stuff. But eventually you get a smooth um, transition from chapter one to chapter 40. I'm glad you brought up the the idea that you're beginning with of, of relationships and you've got uh, Rena and Peter, their relationship contrasted with the other couples um, on top of this uh, really gripping crime story. And and thinking back, a lot of your books are um, are exercises in contrast or, or um, that comparing contrast a lot. Is is that something that that just really gets your creative juices flowing i uh, i think so i think characters get my creative juices flowing who are these characters who are involved and why are they involved and uh, let's dig a little deeper and see who they are what makes them tick that's what i'm saying so it, it my plots tend to be on a very very individual person by person uh, level. So if there is a, um, I won't say a bad guy because nobody's ever 100% bad and 100% good. There's always contrast in there. Um, if there is a person who is criminal and it's doing something criminal, what is making he or she do that? Why are they doing that? What in their background brought him, them to this state where they have to feel the only way out is something criminal so that's that's really what i like to do uh, but i do start with the theme basic things to jealousy uh, greed uh, love you know the basic human emotions that way i feel even if the character is is bad or good um, my readers can relate to whatever character i have um, Faye, I heard someone say one time that no matter how successful you've been as an author, the great equalizer 
is that blank page at the beginning of a book. You know, no matter what you've achieved in the past, it, it, it all comes down to staring at a blank page and then creating a story to go on that blank page. Um, you, you mentioned a little bit ago that, that book writing is a, a lot like surgery in, in one phase of it where you're copying and pasting and, and finding uh, the way that the narrative flows uh, and and how it pieces together. Um, over the course of 27 odd books, um, has how has your process changed and does it get easier or it, like that saying, is the blank page the great equalizer? Very good question. Again, um, it does not get easier because you've written a certain amount of ideas and a certain amount of characters and a certain amount of plots and you don't want to repeat yourself. So every time you come up with uh, a, it's time to write a book, you must uh, try to find something novel. That's what I said. You can't change characters, but you have to throw them into a novel situation or you're going to write the same book over and over and over. And all of us tend to write the same book, but we try to make it interesting. Um, I usually don't get writer's block because I think about it for a long time before I even attempt to write. And that's where a, a, an outline comes in handy if you need it, um, because uh, it's something to refer back to. Uh, as I said in the very, very beginning, writing begets writing. So. I don't care. You stare at that blank page and I don't care what you write. Just write something. Write something dreadful. It was a dark and stormy night. It doesn't matter what you write. The, the loop of writing something and reading it on page stimulates the brain to write more. So as a result, I usually don't get writer's block. I, I don't think I've ever had it. I've had times where writing is much easier than other times. Sometimes it's a struggle. Sometimes if you can crank out a page, you felt like you did a great job. Sometimes you write 15 pages. I'm not saying that every time you write, it's the same process over and over, but you need to put something down on paper. Unless you put something down on paper, you're not going to get that feedback loop and you're not. it's not going to propel you forward. So that's what works for me. Um, I start with a paragraph, and it's not probably well written, and it's prop not, not very good, but it propels me to the next one. And then, of course, you go back and rewrite what you wrote the next day, uh, the, the day before, and you fix it up. You which said that in the big... Which is you very that, helpful, too, because mm -hmm. when you're writing what you wrote, it gives you continuity throughout the book. Right. You said that in the beginning um, that that you generally spend a lot of time thinking um, through the story. Um, you know, a, a lot of writers will tell you that you need to write every day and and to build those habits. And and I think that's a a, a phenomenal habit to to get into to to sit down and do the work every day. But uh, what I think a lot of people overlook is the fact that sometimes. Uh, thinking about the story and and thinking through how the characters are going to react and and what this plot would mean for these characters and I, I think in a lot of ways that part is just as much writing as the sitting down at the keyboard. Absolutely, uh, Stephen King uh, talks about in his book on writing, if I remember correctly, the need to get an idea versus 
having an idea and developing an idea. And for that, you take a lot of long walks. It's it's the only thing that works. You just sit there and you're walking and you're thinking. You have to be aware of traffic, of course. But taking walks, I find, are very helpful in uh, developing thoughts and to getting ideas. Uh, your mind is blank, you know. Right. You you need a blank canvas. Uh, there, if it's too cluttered with things you have to do, uh, you're never going to get that step. So that's why sitting down and developing good habits is very important because you need that blank canvas. You need that blank page. Um, that you can stare at the blank page for a while and start thinking, and then you type your sentences, and then you get the feedback, and then you go on from there. The Hunt, which is uh, Decker and Lazarus, book 27, is out everywhere August 23rd. We're going to have links to it in the show notes where you can grab it uh, from Amazon and and have the hardcover in your hand like I have right now uh, or the Kindle edition or the audio book or go visit your local bookstore and let's support local books through this this tough time that bookstores have had to endure. Um, Faye, our... Are, are you working on the next um, Decker and Lazarus novel yet? Um, I, um, I'm i always thinking, put it that way. <laughs> I am always thinking. I might take a hiatus for a while, but I'm always thinking. You can't shut the brain off, even if you decide, well, I'm going to take a break for a little bit. The brain keeps going. That's just the way it is. I love it. Um, The Hunt, available uh, everywhere on the 23rd. Go grab it. Uh, Faye, this has been so much fun chatting. Uh, Thank you for coming back on the show. Uh, It's a pleasure, Hank. It was a lot of fun. Thank you.